Good job, ladies. Y'all can be seated. If you will open your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 and verse 38 today. Whenever we arrive at verse 38, Jesus is approaching the summit. And the summit there in Jerusalem would reach its peak at the hill that we call Mount Calvary when he would die on the cross for your sins and mine. Well, Jesus had three great friends, individuals that he liked to spend time with. If you ever think about it, it's probably probably hard for Jesus to have close friends. A lot of people probably always were wanting something from him, and so those that were friendly to him had an angle about their friendship. And Jesus also didn't really seem to be the kind of guy that would sit around and talk about the weather and football a lot. He seemed to be fairly serious-minded, and so I would imagine that at times he he didn't have as many friends as as, uh, a lot of people share. But he had three very close friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, Lazarus had become famous. What was Lazarus famous for? Do you remember? He he rose from the dead. If you come back from the dead, people kind of take note of that. And so uh, Lazarus was famous for being risen from the dead. I would imagine people would ask for his autograph and say, Hey, Lazarus, can you come to our camp out and sit around the fire and tell us stories about the afterlife? I mean, everybody knew Lazarus. And then you had Martha. Martha was famous in the community for her hospitality. She was the original Martha Stewart. Minus the jail time, of course, and, uh, but, but every, every church needs, every church needs a Miss Martha. Miss Martha was a little bit no-nonsense. She was probably a little bit abrasive at time, but she loved the Lord, and she was one of those individuals that got things done. Miss Martha was the one that would figure out, how do you get Starbucks-quality coffee at Folger's Prices up in the Life Cafe? She was the kind of lady that would have a different casserole for every surgery. If you're having back surgery, oh, let me fix you my back surgery casserole. And she would bring it over to your house and make sure that that you were taken care of. Every church needs a Miss Martha. And then there was Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany was just a small-town girl living in the lonely shadow of her more famous siblings She was often overlooked by others, but one of the things that you notice about Mary is that she didn't overlook others. And she had a unique ability. Mary had a unique ability to see what was really important and then to seize it, to not miss the moment. So our story begins in verse 38. While they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed her into her home. So Jesus and the disciples enter into the village of Bethany, and Martha invites them to her home for, I'm sure, a delicious meal and a time of friendship together. One of the things that I am learning about being the dad in a family of six is that there's always a party to plan. (laughs) There's always something going on. In fact, this week, my wife graduates with her master's degree. Yeah. If you, uh, if you get a chance, would you all do me a favor and just congratulate on her on that because she's really uh, worked hard. I'm just so very, very proud of her. She's the first person in her family to ever receive a bachelor's degree 
and now she has earned a master's degree as well, and so I'm just so proud of her and her diligence and her study. But I, I've learned, I've got a party to plan, and I, you know, I've learned that hospitality doesn't just happen. You go to one of those parties and there's food all laid out on the buffet, that food doesn't just magically appear. It takes a lot of effort. Somebody has to plan it. Somebody has to work hard. Someone has to make sure that all the details are taken care of. And within God's people, within the church, I have learned that some people just have a natural, spirit-given gift of hospitality. Within our church staff, we, we tease Paul Pack because hospitality is his driving spiritual gift. I mean, Paul's the kind of guy, he can go to Whataburger and he can meet a total stranger in line, and that night the stranger will be hanging out in Paul's backyard enjoying a, a crawfish boil or something of that nature. I mean, he's just naturally hospitable. It's just who he is. If you get in the way of that, you're going you're gonna to wound him. I mean, that's just who, who he is. But for some of us, uh, you have to try a bit harder. Being hospitable doesn't come really easily, and maybe you're more private or you're more introverted, but I think we as a church would, be, would do well to be mindful that being hospitable is a New Testament mandate. In fact, don't do it right now, but sometime during the course of this week, just look up the word hospitable or hospitality and see how many times in the New Testament the Bible commands us or tells us that we are to be hospitable towards one another, that it is to be one of the marks of a Christian family, that we, are, we practice hospitality. It is vital to take time to fellowship with one another. And hospitality can also be uh, evangelistic. By evangelistic, what I mean is that by being hospitable, you can share the gospel and you can reach out to people. A good Texas meal with brisket. You know, brisket's the official meat of Texas, okay? But a good Texas meal with brisket and beans and potato salad, that'll often go a lot further to opening up a stranger's heart towards the gospel than your best argument. We spend lots of, times, lots of time refining our arguments and trying to be able to really communicate things sharply and answer questions, but a lot of times a good relationship bridge to someone. Hospitality will allow you to bring the gospel near. And that's one of the main reasons why next Sunday we're going to be doing this uh, big barbecue. We have a lot of different preaching points as a church, and so a lot of times we don't know each other. The 8.30 service doesn't know the 11 o'clock service, and, and it just kind of happens. You tend to find your group of friends. And so we do events like next week in order for you to be able to know more people and get to know people within the church. But we also do events like that because we want to be hospitable towards our community. And that's why it's important that you uh, invite people to come because uh, a barbecue, something as simple as a meal and a fellowship together, God can use to open the heart of someone so that they can hear the gospel and He can begin doing a work within them. So Martha practiced the biblical principle of hospitality. She welcomed Jesus and the disciples into her home. Well, then look at verse 39. She had a sister named Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. 
My seven-year-old McKenna has taken up farming. We now call her Old McKenna at a farm. And so uh, I bought her a three-by-three garden box. Uh, If you know McKenna very well, uh, she likes to add a little bit of pizzazz to her life. And so we got that garden box, and she said, Dad, it needs some color. And so we, uh, we went up to Lowe's, and she picked out the green and yellow. I did not force anything about Baylor upon her, um, because I'm actually a DBU grad. But, uh, but she picked out the green and yellow and said, I think this will be nice and bright. And so we went home, and we started painting it, and we were working hard on it, trying to paint it before dark fell. And it was kind of a good daddy-daughter moment. And we were about three sides into the paint project, and I look up, and she's gone. I'm like... How am I painting the garden box here all by myself? And she's over playing with Bennett on the, on the toy slide there, and I'm, I'm all by myself painting the garden box. And I felt kind of a little indignant, you know. This is her project, not mine. Why isn't she here painting? Well, Mary and Martha had evidently planned the meal together. Mary and Martha were working together to take care of all the details, And Mary had been in the kitchen helping. She had probably helped with the table set up and everything that needed to be done. But then Martha looks up, and Mary's gone. She's like, where's Mary? She left me all alone here trying to serve all the the guests that we have. Mary of Bethany appears three times in the New Testament. And each time that we run into Mary of Bethany, she is in a position of worship. Here in our story today, she is sitting at Jesus' feet, and she is listening. In John chapter 11, she comes before Jesus, and she has been seized by grief, and she kneels down, and she pours out her grief to Jesus. In John chapter 12, she prepares Jesus for his burial whenever she anoints his feet, and then she uh, dries his feet. She, She uses her hair to dry his feet in an act of of worship. Mary was someone that seized the moment and was a passionate worshiper. And I think as we think about Mary today, we should take note that it is okay to bring passion to your worship. It was November 14, 1996, that I discovered that Lash Banks is not a charismatic Christian. Uh, I was at a Promise Keepers conference at Texas Stadium with about 65,000 Men. Anybody by chance happen to ever be at that as well? Okay, Scott, a couple other guys were there. And it was one of the most incredible moments that I've ever experienced when 65,000 men lifted their voices in song to sing How Great Thou Art. I mean, Scott, you remember that, don't you? That was an incredible, uh, incredible moment. But, but I also noticed this, that throughout the singing, they, they tried to get our hands raised the whole time. And after about 45 minutes of lifting up your arms, you just kind of get tired. And I'm like, man, I just don't know that I'd be a good charismatic. You know, I think I'm a happy Baptist. I'm, I'm good with the occasional hold the TV while you sing, but, but you know, the goalpost while you sing, that gets kind of tiring after a while. Uh, I, I'm a happy Baptist. Now, now Baptist, over the years, we've been known for our commitment to the Bible. We, uh, we like to preach and teach and try to live out what the Scriptures tell us to do. And, and we've also been commitment to, committed to our missionary a- efforts where we organize together to share the gospel. And we've been able to send many, many missionaries overseas and start churches around 
the world, and one of the great things about the way in which we organized for missions is that when we send missionaries overseas, we don't just say, hey, good luck with that, that. check back with us in six months. We have a support network there to help them when they're on the field. But Mary reminds us sometimes, that Mary reminds us that it's also okay to feel. It's also okay to be emotional and to worship with a degree of passion, to pour yourself out in your worship. It's okay to be expressive in your worship. That we don't, when, when we gather as a church for worship, it shouldn't be as though we are gathering for a funeral service. There should be an energy and a liveliness and a passion within our worship. Mary was a passionate worshiper, but Mary was also a disciple who seized the moment. She stopped what she was doing to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen. The Son of God was sitting in her living room, and she wasn't going to miss it. Now, the rolls were burned. Everybody probably needed a refill. The kids were playing video games because there was no creative learning activity. But Mary seized the moment. She was where she needed to be. Those of you that are parents that have children in the home, I think there's something we need to be mindful here, of here. You and I live in a world of unsustainable expectations. Literally billions of dollars are spent to convince us of all the things that we must do for our kids. And it did, all the different voices in our ears come to us, uh, unprecedented amount of information that just comes to us. And it creates this anxiety and this stress within parenting. Oh no, if my, if my children are not doing algebra by the time they come to kindergarten, they'll never get into a good college. And there's just all this stress, all these different things. They have to be in this activity and this activity and this activity. And if I don't do that, then they won't, they, they won't develop correctly. And, and there's just all this pressure upon us to make sure that we do everything. And often the best thing you can do for your children is to stop and listen and just spend time with them. I think Mary reminds us this, of this. She sees the moment. She didn't miss it. You know, you can miss the busyness, but don't miss the moments. Don't get so caught up in all that you think you have to do that you miss that which is absolutely necessary. Don't miss those moments where you can just sit and be together. For those of us that are Christians, those of us that are a part of the church, I think we have to remember not to substitute coffee and donuts and get together with friends for times with Christ. It is vital that we take time just to sit at the feet of the Lord and listen. You want to be alive spiritually? Do you want to grow? Do you want to have a spiritual calm about you that you're able to bring into different situations? There must be a time in your life when you stop 
when you open your heart to God and you spend time in the Word of God and you spend time in prayer and you allow the Holy Spirit of God to just saturate you with His presence and to just fill you with a strength and wisdom that comes from above. You can afford to miss some of the things that you do each day. But you cannot afford to miss out on the time that you spend with God. And Mary, as a disciple, reminds us of the importance of seizing the moment, not neglecting that personal, spiritual time with God. I think one of the greatest dangers of life is that we will be insignificantly successful. Most of us, somewhere deep down, are really afraid of failure. But I think what you really need to be afraid of is succeeding at things that don't really matter. You spend your entire life trying to check off the boxes. And you do this, you do this, you do that. And you make sure that you have all those tasks done. But at the end of life, have you really succeeded in the things that really matter? Did you really give attention to? Did you really stop long enough to take care of those things that will really last forever? Those things that are eternal. Mary seized the moment and she sat at Jesus' feet. Well, by now at the party... The air was full of a sweet aroma. Peter had all the crawfish poured out on the table and everybody was getting ready to eat the great meal. The annual gladiator draft was in round two and people had already seen who their team was going to pick. There at the party, Paul Reed was out back trying to teach Tiny how to play the guitar and make sure that you break a string every song. And, and the music was going. People were laughing. Everyone was having a good time. The fellowship was flowing. I mean, this was just a nice scene to be a part of. Everybody was smiling except for Martha. Martha. She was fuming. And you know the old saying, if Martha ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You know, when Miss Martha gets mad, everybody knows about it. And so the Bible says in verse 40, But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And so she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. Poor Martha. Now I feel bad for Martha. I think we, we really are too hard on Martha. Poor lady, not only did she have the moment then, but it was preserved in Holy Scripture. And so for 2,000 years, people have been preaching sermons where Martha looks bad. I mean, nobody likes to have their embarrassing moment preserved in Holy Scripture. Uh, I think her heart was in the right place. She, she wanted to be a good host. She wanted everyone to be comfortable. She, she wanted everybody to do their part. But now... Instead of everybody being comfortable, she was making everybody uncomfortable. Now, one of the key phrases in this verse is distracted by her many tasks, or distracted by all the tasks, but by her many tasks is how the scripture translates it here. 
You see, she had all these things to do, and they were distracting her. Distracting her from what? Distracting her from Jesus. All this stuff that had to be done. Distracting her from the one thing that was really necessary. And so because of the distractions, she, first of all, missed out on worship. And then she became angry with the people that she loves the most. And then she felt all alone. She felt as though nobody cared about her. She was in the middle of a party. And she felt completely isolated. You ever have that happen to you? All the stuff that has to be done. All the different tasks that you do. And in the process of trying to make sure that you do everything that you think has to be done, you miss out on worship. You get angry at the people that you love the most. And you feel all alone, even in the middle of a party. Well, the Lord answered Martha. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. Now, I don't think Jesus said it in an angry way. I don't think He said, Martha, Martha. I think He said it in a loving way. Martha, Martha, you're worried about all these many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice. And it will not be taken from her. What did Jesus do here? He tried to recenter Martha. Martha, you need to breathe. You need to refocus. And remember what's really important. 7.30, Easter Sunday morning, the Banks house. Every day, every Sunday, my girls ride to church with me. That particular Sunday, they were in molasses mode. You ever have your kids get in molasses mode? Kids, wear your shoes. Oh, no. You know? So finally, I get a little bit frustrated. I'm like, kids, it's Easter Sunday, okay? I'm the pastor, all right? Uh, There's going to be lots of guests here. I have a lot of things to do. I can't be late. Find your shoes. we got to get out the door. I'm starting to get a little bit riled up before I come and pray with you all. And and then (laughs) Karis looks at me and she just goes, Dad, breathe. It is so annoying when your kids are right. But I did just need to chill a little bit. Sometimes we just need to breathe. We need to spend time with God. You have lots to do. If you're going to have the strength to do it all, if you're going to have the focus that you need to bring to your life, you've got to take time to breathe. How do you breathe spiritually? You spend time with God. Spend time with Him. I want to challenge you this week, every day this week, to have worship built into your life. You say, well, Ash, what should I do? Well, read some of the scriptures. Read some of the Bible every day. Take time to pray to the Lord. If you don't have a prayer list, start putting together a prayer list, either on paper, on your phone, whenever you come across prayer needs, just add it to the prayer list. Pray through those things there's areas in your life where you're struggling, ask God for strength, ask God for wisdom. 
People in your life who are hurting, lift them up in prayer. It's one of the greatest acts of love to pray for people. Spend some time just breathing and recentering your soul and talking to the Lord every day. Try it every day this week. In fact, I'm going to encourage you to do this, to have a time in the morning and a time before you go to bed where you just stop long enough to breathe spiritually and sit at Jesus' feet and worship. All the things that you have to do, all the boxes that have to be checked off are not nearly as important as the people you love. Remember, the people are the task. Remember to take time to spend time with the people you love the most. And don't get so upset about all the many things that you think you have to do that you miss the one thing that is absolutely necessary. And I encourage you to be like Mary. Make the right choice. Be a worshiper. And don't let anyone take that from you. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads, please, as we come to a time of commitment? The band's going to come and lead us in worship today. If there's anything that I can pray with you about, help you through, I'll be here at the front. And it's always my honor to be a pastor to you. Before we sing, let's just spend a time in prayer. And before we pray, would you just take a deep breath and just breathe? Heavenly Father, we enter into this place that we call a sanctuary. And we call it so because throughout the course of this week, we have faced many stressors, many challenges, things that would tempt us to be drawn away from you, things that would tempt us to be drawn away from those few things in life that really matter. But this morning we bow our heads before you, acknowledging that you are God, acknowledging our need for you. And Lord, we ask that you will help us to refocus our soul. Help us, Lord, to be true worshipers, to spend time now and each day of the week sitting at the feet of Jesus, receiving your word, receiving the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that you tell us not to be anxious about anything, but instead to come to you in prayer. And so, Father, we pray that you might drain our anxiety and fill us with faith. Lord, I pray that we might be diligent about the work that you've called us to do. Help us, Lord, to be the very best workers. Help us, Lord, to be examples of diligence. But, Lord, may we find energy to do so through you. Father, may we be individuals that bring a spiritual calm to the anxious moments. Father, may we be able to handle what life throws at us because we are people of faith, people of hope, and people of love that you have birthed within our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray and worship. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing.